Welcome to the Companion Chapel Everyday Bible Study Podcast. My name is Mike, coming to you from the Great Lakes area of beautiful Ontario, Canada, on this gorgeous Tuesday, August 31st day, 221. It's the last day of August, wrapping up the summer here. Coming right up, it's the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Don't you dare miss it. All anxieties and uncertainties stop where biblical literacy starts. This Companion Chapel podcast makes the Bible easy for you to understand and enjoyable for you to follow along. First, please consider your part in the many-member body of Christ. This is your church. Help glorify, magnify, and broadcast God's saving word. My part is creating this Bible teaching media. Your part consists of getting involved in the church administration with your time or money contributions, managing marketing, advertising, helping with the website or the blog. Whatever God-given talent you have, God expects you to use it in the many-member body of Christ. Companion Chapel is a registered nonprofit ministry. Give it up for God at companionchapel.com. Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, or e-transfer to email address companionchapel at gmail.com. This podcast and the blog are only brought to you by your donations. I want to thank you very much for the people that have donated. People donated the stone for this Companion Chapel Church here. Isn't that just the greatest thing? We need carpenters. We need some lumber. We need some plumbing. Anyways, Companion Chapel is located at number 338 Side Road 28 slash 29 Paisley, Ontario, Canada. And the Bible study is located at the old Thompson Furniture Store in downtown Paisley, Ontario, Canada. You can't miss it. It's only one street. There's no street lights in Paisley. Every Monday and Thursday night and Come on out to the church on Sundays at the Evangelical Church. My good friend Zach there is the, is the uh, pastor out there. And here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And we have to read this very carefully. We're talking about being outnumbered and losing faith. And right now in these end times, as Christian people, we are outnumbered. Hardcore outnumbered. And don't lose faith. Okay, so let's go to chapter 13, verse 1 of the first book of Samuel. Saul reigned one year. Okay, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Mishmash and in the Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan, that's his son, in Gibeah uh, of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. So he picked, he, Saul's picked out his own like special forces here, okay? And Jonathan, that's Saul's son, smote the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. Now this word abomination is much different than the word abomination that we uh, normally have. It's only used once in the Bible. It's Baash, and it means they stunk from the death of the Philistines. They were dirty, and God has laws about dead bodies. So this would allude to that they looted, and that's what they did back then. They got the spoil. They looted them, and you know they were touching the dead bodies. Okay, now five. After the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sands which is on the seashore. Now, that really doesn't make any sense, but that's just uh, seems to be more chariots than people. But well, let me read that again. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, 
and people as the sand which is on the seashore. And they came up and pitched in Mishmash eastward of Bethavim. That's Bethavim means the house of nothing. And what we're talking here is um, 30,006. That's multiples of six. So it does make sense. They have a lot of people as the sands of the sea. That's a, just an idiom for like, you can't even count how many people they had. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, hey, we have 3,000 here, and there's like over 36,000 people out there against us, for the people were distressed, man. They got stressed out. And the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. They lost faith. They lost faith in God. They didn't listen to what Samuel said. You know, they were way outnumbered, and they had nothing, and they just strolled right out of Egypt, like Samuel just told them, with God. And with all their stuff, too. And that's why you don't read about it in Egyptian history. Because it, you could find it, but it's not in Egyptian history because it would be just an absolute embarrassment to them. Imagine you have this these people, and they're your labor force, and then just all of a sudden, their God, or our God, Yahweh, you know, smites them with diseases and plagues, and then they end up leaving with all your stuff, like you're just as much gold as they could carry. So think about that. Okay, so these people didn't think about that. And they split. They went AWOL, man. They went go hiding themselves. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilad. And as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgad, and all the people followed trembling. Everyone was scared. And he tarried seven days, <clears throat> according to the set time that Samuel pointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgad, and the people were scattered from them. People just started splitting. Now, you know what? Samuel wasn't sitting in a Cadillac Escalade on a freeway, so don't get on Samuel's case for not showing up on time because he's an old man, and that's a long walk. And just think about that. So just have patience, okay? And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings as he offered the burnt offering. Uh, no, no, Saul. You're not a priest, and you were just taught by the priests, and you were humbled, and God gave you a new heart. You know better. But Saul's trying to play the priest here, king trying to play the priest. 10. And it came to pass as soon as he had made the end of an offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel shows up. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, like you said you were going to be here. And Samuel's going like, It's a long walk, man. I'm old. Okay? Take a chill. Have patience. And that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. And I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Like, Saul just went through cram school. He went through, and God, God churned his heart. God allowed him some wisdom, understanding, counsel, and knowledge, and strength. And God allowed his spirit, remember we read that, his spirit to come into Saul. And what is the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? The spirit of God is his divine, invisible force. Spirit is Urak. In the Hebrew language, it always represents that invisible force that is only seen through its manifestations. These manifestations are both seen externally to mankind and internally to the individual. These people saw it and, and Samuel just reminded them.
of the Spirit of God, the power of God. And now we see God's Spirit working even today. Signs. The significance of work for work for the Lord. Like this Bible study podcast. It helps people. Wonders. That's the effect the work in the Lord produces. Like this Bible study podcast has the effect of getting people to open their Bibles and acquire working knowledge of the Bible. I'm just using this podcast for an example. And miracles is the life-changing results to recognize and utilize your unique gift of God's given talent to you. Like if you see some guy, you want to see a miracle? You see some guy sitting downtown Vancouver in his pickup truck waiting for his drug dealer to show up every day. You think, well, that guy's just, he's got so many problems. He's got so many problems. Then all of a sudden you see that guy teaching the Bible. And you know the Holy Spirit dwells within him because he knows how to teach the Bible. That's a miracle. That's a sign. That's a wonder. And these people had miracles, signs, and wonders going on all around them. And they were reminded of them. And we're reminded of them to this day. They're all around us. So don't be ignorant of these things. But Saul's trying to take over. And watch what Samuel says. 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God. We just went over that in the last chapter. Which he commanded thee. There's an order of things. There's a natural order of things. You have to follow God's instructions. Don't overstep your spot in the many-member body of Christ. And this is what Saul did. I'm, I'll be the priest now. I'll play priest. I'll do the burnt offering. I'm not going to wait for Samuel. He's like a hundred and he's taken too long to get here. Okay, so for now, would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever? But now, thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought the Lord hath sought him, a man after his own heart. You're following your own heart. You know what? I was planting some seeds the other day, doing some street preaching. And somebody come along, and this, this one girl, God bless her heart, just wasn't understanding. She had totally biblically illiterate. And I was just introducing her to the Bible. And then somebody just shows up and just says, she says, well, then I have to believe in Jesus Christ. And somebody shows up, no. You just believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. I was like, isn't that just typical of the self-pride? Self-absorbed people. Believe in yourself. You believe in the Lord God. You trust God or you won't be trusted. You confide in the Lord or you can't abide in the Lord. You have belief or you will have no relief. You try to understand or you won't understand. That's what people do these days. They just believe in themselves. That's self-pride. That's arrogance. That's, a, that's like aggression. Those are the trademarks of evil. I know what's right. I know. I believe in myself. Well, God tells you. There's a reason we're going through this earth age. This course of time. There's a reason God allows Satan to be the prince of the air as it's written in Ephesians chapter 2. There's a reason devils, de demons, devils, evil spirits, all powers and principalities of Satan are running wild around planet Earth. Because people give power to it because they believe in themselves. And those demons, devils, evil spirits just play a snare drum in your head. You're always right. You're right. Everybody else is wrong. Anybody that doesn't think like you or believe what you believe in or do as you do, they're wrong. They're an idiot. Look at them with disdain. Jesus Christ didn't do that. 
He taught us. There's a place of peace beyond our present comprehension that he set up that is valid and legit, that will not accommodate people that think they know better. When you meet your maker and you go, you know what, Jesus Christ, uh, there were some things in the Bible I didn't like. And so here, I wrote a little chapter here of the chapter of me and what I think. You know what Jesus Christ is going to say to you? And God forbid you ever hear these words. The most agonizing words you'll ever hear. Mortifying words you'll ever hear. Depart from me, I never knew you. Go over there with the other people into the hell side. All the people that believe in themselves and think they know better. Go over there until you can humble yourself and come back over here and come to an understanding of others. And it's not all about you. You fell. We're all hewn from that rock, as it says in Isaiah chapter 51. He is our rock. He is our only stability. We all fell. We are the broken clay. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the potter. He is our shepherd. We shall not want another. He is our salvation. He is our redeemer. He is our deliverer. Not you, everybody, not you yourself. Everybody who thinks they believe in themselves. Yeah, I'm my own God. I believe in myself. Yeah. Yeah, your crutch is money or your crutch is self-pride and all those things will let you down. And this is what's going on here. Saul thought, oh, I'm just going to do after my own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be a captain over his people because he hath not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And Samuel rose and got him up from Gilgal unto Gilby of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present, that were present with him, about 600 people. So there's, there's Samuel just give it to Saul. And basically the whole nation is just going to fall into ruin here because they departed. You know, Saul's heart decided, yeah, a God came into my heart and uh, I think I know better here. Like, is, like, he probably thought he was doing the right thing. And most people think they're doing the right thing. Like, honestly think they're doing the right thing. But if it's outside of God's word, then you're going to find out, like Saul's about to find out, it's disappointment after disappointment, frustration after frustration. You lose the hand of God around you, the hedge of God, the veil of Christ, and you're wide open to the demons, devils, evil spirits. And you know what? They'll treat you good at first, but they're just messing with you. They'll, they'll drum up your self-pride and you'll have some good times and you'll be able to buy some material things. Just the emptiness of the material world compared to the fullness of the spiritual world. The material world will always let you down. All this stuff you get. Someone said to me the other day, well, I have to buy my kids a pool. That proves money buys happiness because it'll make them happy. Well, you know what? That pool just takes maintenance. That pool has to be covered all winter. It's got to be constantly clean. The kids are just going to want more. They're going to want toys to go in the pool. They're going to want, you're going to have to watch the kids. That pool will kill your kids if you don't watch them. They'll drown in there. Yeah, you're going to have fun. But the amount of time you actually spend in that pool to think that that's actually buying happiness, that's fleeting. It's going to be too cold. It's going to be rainy. You're going to have fun around the pool. It's nice to have a pool. But only God will love you back. The pool's not going to love you back. It's just going to take constant maintenance. It's going to be a money pit. Just constantly throwing money at things, trying to buy happiness. Money can't buy happiness. We're talking about internal happiness. 
Look at the affairs of time. We can't understand infinity. This little time frame that we're in right now, this little course of time, when you think infinity back, infinity forward, is such a small little bit of time, but it's one of the most important little bits of time. A vapor of time is your life. And in this vapor of time, you're being judged. Where are you going to spend the next part of your life in your spiritual body on the hell side or in the heaven side? A place of peace beyond our present comprehension. The Millennium Temple will be set up for a thousand years. A great time of teaching for those whose hearts are in the right spot. For the people that think they can just keep buying things and money buys happiness, it's fleeting. It buys a sense of entitlement. It buys a sense that you think you're better than others. It buys a sense of just frustration when it's all said and done. Of wanting, longings, greeds, gluttonies, coveting, possessiveness. Those things aren't allowed in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, we get nothing because we have everything. There's no wants and needs. It's a place of peace beyond our present comprehension. Anyways, here's, here's Saul after his own heart. Okay, and, and this is what happens. Samuel says, okay, it's curtains for you then, if you keep doing that. So Saul numbered the people that were present with him. He only had 600 people left. And Saul, Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people that were present with him abode in, in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Mishmash. And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines. These are the bad bad people, the, the special forces, the badass, the special forces guys come out. They came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies, organized. One company turned one way, that leads to Oprah, one country, onto the land of Shula. Another company turned to the Betharon, and another company turned the way of the border that looked to the Zebion towards the wilderness. They were surrounding them with these special forces. Covert action. Good military thought. And, and watch this. Now there was no smiths found throughout the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. Now no smiths. Now this explains why Ehud had to make his own dagger back in Judges 3.16. This explains why Shag, uh, uh, Shamgar had only an ox goad. And that's just a piece of, like a two by four with a nail in it. In Judges 3.31. And why Samson had nothing in his hands. Like he just had his muscles. Judges 14 verses 5 and 6. And why not a shield or a spear was among 40,000 in Israel. In Judges chapter 5. <laughs> like in, in other days. And in, in uh, when Israel's warring against others. Uh, we read about how they drew their swords. And so. What were they fighting with though? There's just a. It's just a brawl, just with, with garden implements, I guess. And uh, for the Philistines, lest the Hebrews make themselves sword or spears. So the Philistines had smiths, they had ironworks, they had things going. But the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, his coulter, his axe, and his mattock. That's a, these are things for um, farming, for agriculture. So they went out there with agriculture instruments or, or implements or tools to fight. And for yet a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes to sharpen the goats. 
Okay, I just looked up that word and I forgot it. I didn't write it down. What it means is like they didn't have the tools for it. They didn't have an ironsmith is what's being said here. <clears throat> and remember, like they were they were on the move quite a bit and they hadn't really settled into the Iron Age. But the Philistines have, have it going on. Uh, verse 22, So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and Jonathan, his son, there was found. Yeah, because they ripped it off the Philistines when they when they beat them up. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Mishmash. 14. Now when it, chapter 14, verse 1. Now when it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, came unto the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Okay, Jonathan's, he's trying to act macho here, a tough guy. And he wants to go fight, and they have some of the Philistines' armor, and they fit it to themselves. And they're going to learn how to make their own armor, coming up pretty soon. And Saul tarried to the uppermost part of Gilgal under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabob's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, were in an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. Okay, so Jonathan didn't inquire of the Lord here, but Jonathan's taken things into his own hands. And we have old Phineas there. Uh, 14, or verse 4. And between the passages which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Boses, and the name of the other was Senai. So what he's done here is Jonathan's fixed himself up so he can fight a whole bunch of people one-on-one -on -one instead of getting surrounded. Like he's in like a, a valley type of thing, and you know you can't walk like 50 guys side by side. You can only walk like single file. Is what's being said here. So Jonathan is doing some good military action here. Uh, good military uh, planning. The forefront on the one that was situated northward over Mishmash and the other one southward over Gilgal. So Jonathan is sizing up the Philistine special forces that we just read about in chapter 13, verse 17. And he's got himself a good spot. You know, uh, Bozes means shining, and Sene means sharp or pointed. This means, yeah, you, there's only one way to get through there. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Six. And Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Hey, that's good. He's given up for God, and he's saying, Hey, I believe in God, and I listened to Samuel's speech back in chapter 12, and even when we're outnumbered, if with God with us, we win. There's no doubt about it. And his armor bearer, this guy's loyal, said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Hey, that's a good guy. He didn't book it and, uh, you know, run away. So it's hard to find uh, good loyal people. But when you have the Lord with you, people sense it. Okay, and then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over these things, over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. Okay, we're gonna hey, we're gonna let them know, we're over here, guys. We're over here, special forces. Okay, so this is like military training, like covert action type of thing. Okay, number nine. If they say thus unto us, 
tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not come to them. But if they say unto us, come up unto us, then we go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. Jonathan had faith. He set himself up in a great place to fight. It's like almost, almost like single file fighting and bring it on. Okay, 11. And both of them discovered themselves into the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. Yeah, bring it on is what they're saying. Come on up, bring it on. Like we're special forces up here. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after them. They had a good spot to fight and they, yeah, they, they brought it on. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, about 20 men, 20 special forces, with, within, as it were, half an acre of land, which a yoke uh, of an ox might plow. The way they did acres back then and into recent times is how much land can you plow with your beast of burden in a day an acre so within half an acre that's like a, that's like half an acre is only like not even this well half an acre would be like the size of the average uh house being built in subdivisions today like it's hardly anything half an acre is like 150 feet by a by a hundred feet, even less. Okay, so they kept the battle right there. It was one on one, and they beat them all. And there was trembling in the host of the field and among the people, and the garrison and the spoilers. They also trembled, a very great trembling. And in the Hebrew, this is a trembling from God. Preternatural -turn, pre trembling is what that word is. That means a trembling from God. And the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. You know, here's, here's God saying, Hey man, turn to me and I will take care of you. Jonathan waited for a sign from God. That's the difference between brave and stupid. Okay? And the watchmen of Saul and Gebal of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away. And they went on beating them down one another. They stampeded away. The special forces of the Philistines booked it and they walked over all over each other like they just stampeded away like a mob. 17. Then Saul said unto the people that were with him, Number now and see who is gone from us. And they had numbered. Behold, Jonathan and his armor and his armor bearer were not there. Okay, Saul didn't send out troops. So what's going on? Saul's getting this this back, this, this sign here. Um back to verse 16 the regular army just observed their special forces get annihilated and they dropped their weapons and stampeded for home that's what happened the watchman of saul saw what jonathan did i didn't make that clear there was a stampede they just dropped their stuff and split and then saul standing there watching all this and he goes what, what's what's going on i didn't why are these why is the army that's just about to destroy us they're running away and they're leaving their stuff laying everywhere and and uh because Saul didn't send out Jonathan. Jonathan inquired of God, and, and God took care of business. 18, And Saul said unto Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God. 
at least Saul's mindset is towards God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And when it came to pass, when Saul talked unto the priest, and the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased, and Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thy hand. Okay, there's an interesting note here. Um, it's, it's the way they're handling the ark that's going to get them in trouble. Uh, the, the contents of this shows that the inquiry, the inquiry of the Lord by Uman and Thurman was in Saul's mind. The word, uh, did he really go get the ark itself? I think he was actually asking for the priest to do the Uman and Thurman, which was like uh, the priest had a breastplate and they had these two, I, I don't know how to call them dice, but there were two stones in there and they would inquire, you know, go through the proper natural order of things, God's commandments. They'd ask God a question. They would seek out God. They would seek an understanding and an answer from God. And the priest would reach into this bag that he had on his breastplate that you can read about in the book of Exodus and pull out one of the the stones to give the answer yes or no. Okay, so And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves and they came to battle. And behold, every man soared against his fellow and there was a very great discomfort. Okay, there was an uproar watching the enemy stampede away. So Saul did go ask a priest what's going on. And then they just, they followed them. They followed this army that's just stumbling over themselves. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country roundabout, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Okay, here come back the draft dodgers came back. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in battle. Same today. Christians with wavering faith dodged the truth when feeling threatened. Like these guys were like, like they were AWOL. And now they're following hard when they see, like you have to fight for God the whole way. We're outnumbered right now. It's the great apostasy right now. So we have to realize that, yeah, when you're outnumbered, it's, it's, it's go time. With God, we win the battle. The Satan's death sentence is already laid out in the councils of eternity, Ezekiel chapter 28. These guys, okay, here, we're back now. We're seeing everything's going good now. It's like me trying to start a church all by myself here. It's like, yeah, where is everybody? Oh, when it starts to catch on, it's like, okay, here's some Christians showing up. Like, you weren't sure. You had some wavering faith or what's going on. Like, let's, uh, the first people that come out are the bravest people, are the strongest people, the gods for God. Okay, so chapter, two, verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over into Bethaven. So now, uh, Bethaven means house and nothing, but uh, Saul's mindset was towards God. Uh, he went to the priest, and now these guys are loaded up with weapons. Okay, the, because the Philistines dropped all their stuff and split. 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until the evening, that I may be avenged on my enemies, so none of the people tasted any food. This is ridiculous. What's Saul thinking here? Did Saul inquire of the Lord and say, Okay, you guys were just all out in battle. It's hot out there. Uh... Now, I think that you should not eat today. I think it's a good day for fasting. Yeah, sure, Saul. Well, your belly's full of food. These guys were out there 
And this is just a terrible thing Saul did to his people. So none of the people tasted any food. And they and all they of the land came to a wood, and this word wood is means yar in the Hebrew language. It means lush green vegetation. And there was honey upon the ground. Now let's explain what the land of milk and honey means. Honey means the thing about the honeybee is is responsible for pollinating 80% of our food stuff. With no honey, or with no bees, there would be no honey, there would be no pollination. That's what, that's what it means. It doesn't mean uh, land of milk and honey. Uh, yeah, you're going to have a big jar of honey on your table and just stick your old paws in there and just go for it. No. Give it up for the bee. Give it up for God's uh, bountifulness. God's perfect ecosystem. Lush green vegetation responsible from God's honeybees. Land of milk and honey. And milk always means the generative, the generative nutritional force of the posterity of the mother's milk. It doesn't mean you're saying, oh, land of milk and honey. Okay, I got a big glass of 2% here and a big jar of honey. Great. You know, what are you going to do? Drink milk and, uh, and eat honey? That's not what it means. It's what it represents. The honeybee is responsible for 80% of our food stuff. The word wood here in verse 25 means our lush green vegetation. There was tons to eat. And, and, and Saul's telling people, uh, no, don't eat nothing. And when the people were coming to the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. There was tons of food around, tons of good food. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath, wherefore he put the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. Now this is really interesting. This is honeycomb. The Hebrew word, again, ya'ar, never means honeycomb. It, it means, it's rendered wood here and now honeycomb. It, it means forest. It means, it means a point of dense growing wood or thicket that is, that has, you know, food stuff in it. And when you read about, uh, there's even more to this, which is really interesting note here. You know, Jonathan went out there and, and he was fighting all day. And what's he supposed to do? Not eat? And that's what uh, Saul said to the whole army that, that ran out there into the heat of the day to pick up all the, the, the spoil of the enemy. Don't eat. Like, that's, there's your king right there. There's the, there's the brightness of Saul's heart. Like, he's just, he couldn't take care of his dad's asses. He lost his dad's uh, livestock. And now he's telling his army, like, God didn't say, tell these guys not to eat. Saul's saying, uh, I think it's a good day to fast. Yeah, after you guys have been out there just running around fighting and picking up stuff. Yeah, no, that's when you have to eat. And this even points out to, uh, this is really interesting. I'm just going to read it. It points to a dense growing wood or thicket. It has been suggested that it was cannabis indica or pot or hemp plant producing the eastern intoxicant hashish. This would produce an eyes, an effect of the eyes, though it would subsequently dull the senses. Um, in Songs chapter 5 verse 1 would read, I have eaten my cannabis with my honey. Now everything in moderation, of course. Um, everything in moderation. Like... Yeah, have have a glass of wine at night or 
have a beer up here in Canada. Marijuana is legal. They used to throw people in jail for years for it. But uh, now it's legal. I don't enjoy it at all. I hate THC, to tell you the truth. And, but, you know, just after a hard day of doing what God's work or going out there and slugging it out, yeah, man, take a chill. But serve God first, okay? But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people. Like he was out fighting when the stupid oath was said by Saul. There's your smart king. Wherefore, he put forth his hand. Okay, he ate something. Then it, and he put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened. That's where I got that whole cannabis thing, okay? Rekindled his mind, body, spirit. John, John was hungry after battle, and he, he, made, he put his fork in a delicious stir-fry. I'm going to back off from that cannabis thing. Um, I, forget, I forget where this came from, but uh, it doesn't matter. In other words, Jonathan was hungry after battle and put put his fork into a delicious stir-fry if he smoked a joint after that whippy-doo. 28. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with the note, saying, Curse be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Yeah, they needed nourishment, Saul, you dumb-dumb. Okay, 29. Then Jonathan said, My father hath troubled the land. I see, I pray you, how my eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little bit of honey. Yeah, look it, I feel good now. I had a delicious stir-fry. 13. How much more if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. They would have been able to have so much more stuff, for they had not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. John is mad that Saul disabled the army. He could have collected more stuff. Like, we need these weapons. And they smote the Philistines that day from Mishmash to Ajalon, and the and the people were very faint. And here's King Saul, and that and how many government government officials these days are just the same, just put out ridiculous laws and ordinances, just like just the stupidest things. Mankind has never been able to govern themselves. Saul couldn't govern his dad's livestock, and now as soon as he leaves God, he he. This is what happens. He leaves God. He thinks he knows better. He's like, I'm going to please God and make these people fast. Yeah, after they've been out in battle. And Jonathan's mad. Verse 32. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep, oxen, calves, and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. This is contrary to Father's law and common sense. They were engaged in extreme physical activity, and the governing body, Saul... A spoiled dum-dum who, who couldn't even keep track of his dad's asses imposed nutritional restrictions on them. So 33. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord, and they have eaten with the blood. And he said, You have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. What's he talking about? The people were starving, so they pigged out. No doubt about it. And when they pigged out, like the, like they just ate right then and there. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox, every man his sheep, and slay them here and eat. Sin not against the Lord in eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with them that night and slew them there. Okay, so Saul, indicative of mankind, always backpedaling, trying to fix what they are responsible for. That's what governments do. That's why we have constant elections. Mankind can't govern themselves. Here's Saul backpedaling, saying, okay, oh yeah, okay, they got to eat, so let's do it properly. Come on, guys, bring it over here. So Saul built an altar unto the Lord, 
the same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. Okay, finally he builds an altar to the Lord. 36. And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Yeah, not that Saul fed the army. But then the priests, but then said the priests, Let us draw hither unto God. Good idea. There's a good idea. Thank you, priest guy. Because Saul's acting like, you know, from his own heart. Like he's, he's a terrible leader at this point. His son goes out and dusts the special forces. Well, Saul's standing there. Then Saul puts on restrictions, nutritional restrictions on them. Like the people were starving. They pigged out. And now he's like, oh, oh, you guys are hungry. Yeah, well, where was Saul? He was sitting underneath the tent. You think his belly wasn't full? Like, like, he doesn't go out to battle. He goes out, they set up a tent, then they stand there and watch their, their army fight. Okay, so 37. And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him, Not that day. Yeah, because they just sinned. Like, are, like are you repenting, Saul? You just turn to God? Like people say to me all the time, God doesn't listen to me. Well, maybe it's time you humble yourself and repent. Okay, let's go on to 40, uh, or verse 38. And Saul said, Draw ye hither all the chief of the people, and know and see wherein this sin hath been this day. For hath the Lord liveth which saveth Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among the people that answered him. He's still going on about this no eating oath. And guess what's going to happen? It's not good. It's going to make Saul look even more like a dumb dumb. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And so here we go, a perfect lot. We're going to the Uman and Thurman. Uh, listen, the scribes, having the written word of Israel, went forward to the word Israel a line or two farther on and omitted the words in between which are preserved in the ancient manuscripts, which I'm about to read for you. And let's just read this. The Lord God of Israel, why hast thou not answered thy servant this day? This is verse 41. Okay, this is what should be included in the translation here. Is the iniquity in me or in Jonathan my son? Lord God of Israel, give clear manifestation through the ermine and through the sermon, uh, through the lot, as it's called, should declare this. Give, I pray thee, to thy people Israel, I pray holiness. And he's going, he's asking the priest to do the ermine and thurman. Who's right? Like Saul's pride's showing up here. Jonathan ate, said for his people to eat. Saul's so flippy floppy, he can't even get it right. Now he's about to go, okay, who's right? Because I put it out in oath. And Saul, Saul said, cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Well, so that means there's a death sentence on Jonathan here. The people escaped the lot. Like Saul just said, between me and my son. Like, like Saul, like, you got to be like the worst king ever. He's just a dum-dum. Verse 43, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. Lo, I must die. Hey, I had a stir-fry after I fought all those people, Daddy. I dusted the special forces. So I guess this dice here says I must die. 44, And Saul answered, God, do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. Nice dad, nice king. 45, and the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die? 
who hath wrought this great salvation into Israel. He saved us, Saul. God forbid. As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and Jonathan that he did not die. Saul takes a diss at his kingship by the common sense of the people. It's like Saul, really? Like you're going to kill Jonathan after what he did? You haven't been inquiring of the Lord. You put nutritional restrictions on us. And aren't you the guy that couldn't even take care of livestock? Like, who is this guy? Okay, so let's read on here. 47. Um, uh, I read over something on verse 45. Uh, and the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid. As... The Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. And remember Luke chapter 21, as God's elect being brought up are accused, but innocent. Not one hair. Read Luke chapter 21. Okay, so that alludes to that. Verse 47. So Saul took the kingdom over. So Saul, so Saul took the kingdom of Israel. So Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side against Moab, against the children of Ammon, against the children of Edom. Don't read over those words. There's a lot of bad people there. The Nephilim, Raphim, uh, the sons of Cain, and against, and against, and the sons of Edom. Remember, God loved Jacob, but hated Esau, the sons of Edom. And against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines, and whosoever he turneth himself, he vexed them. And he gathered a host and smote the Amalekites. Those are the bad guys. And delivered Israel out of the hands of them that spoiled them. Saul's starting to do pretty good now. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Ushu and Melishu. And the names of his two daughters were these. The names of the firstborn Merib and the name of the younger Michelle. And the name of Saul's wife was Am. And she was the daughter of Amaz. And the name of the captain of his host was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Way to keep the family in there. And Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, the son of Abiel. And we'll get back to these names later because they all mean something. Um, and there was so war. There was a bad war against the Philistines in those days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took them. And that's what God said. Hey, you guys were at, basically at peace with Samuel. You know, you had to keep up your borders. But now it's just all out war. You got a king here. It's not just the greatest thing. First Samuel chapter 14. There you have it. I hope you're enjoying the book of Samuel because I think it's awesome. Learning what mankind does compared to what God does. Mankind cannot govern themselves. This is, this is the companion chapel. Please get in touch with me at the companion chapel at gmail.com and I really want to hear from you. Send me an email. Send me a kite. Companionchapel.com. Whatever you can do. Get involved in the church administration. It's just me out here. And my little doggy, Lana Del Rey. My little 10-pound Papillon, who I love so much. I want to thank you very much for listening. Please promote this podcast. Please share this podcast. Please help glorify, magnify, and broadcast God's saving word. I want to thank you very much for listening. Have yourself a great day. And bye for now.